You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. the chasers of light to the purveyors of pictures to all of you listening from around the world welcome to the f11 photography podcast i am your host kevin deal along with your other host brandon gory how we doing? <laughs> there we go. Nice, nice. How are we doing, everyone? Doing good. It helps when you hit the mute button. Uh, welcome uh, to today's edition of the F11 Photography Podcast. Uh, we're also going to be joined by a guest, uh, Jason Berkman. Hello, hello. Who is an awesome person to talk about today's subject. So I have a problem, mm-hmm. and the first step that they tell you is that you have to admit that you have a problem. And uh, the problem that I seem to have, well, is gas. <laughs> Not that kind of gas. Nice. But gear acquisition syndrome. There's a pill for that. <laughs> for gear acquisition syndrome. I wish. Yeah, no. <laughs> I wish. My wallet's like, It'd be stop. Much, be much less expensive. So- Actually, the the subject I want to talk about is, um, you know, we we often buy gear for ourselves and not necessarily for our clients. We we really do because I think that if you bought a ten year old camera and put a thirty year old lens on it, you would take pictures that if you are talented enough that your clients would love and go, wow, that's great, and they wouldn't know this you had the latest and greatest gear, mm. which is why I've concluded that we really do buy it for ourselves. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that because, you know, you go treat yourself to something, right? And I don't think it's frivolous either. You know, you look at people who do things that you think are stupid, but it gives them, it fulfills them. Like I look at people who raise their trucks, right? I mean, we live in Texas and we have people who, <laughs> who have trucks that are like 20 feet off the ground. I think that's stupid. Okay, right. but there's people who who raise their their trucks twenty feet off the ground who think that me going out and buying a camera that costs as much as a car is stupid. Okay, so it goes both ways. Uh, what do you think? You know, I think it's important to start with a thirteen year old uh, Canon Mark D because you start to figure out what you like out of photography, and then when you go to buy gear, you're like, okay, do I want better quality? Fuck yeah, I want better quality. But secondly, you want to optimize what already works for you. And everyone who buys gear, I think a lot of photographers who buy gear and upgrade gear are usually chasing um, a workflow for them that has come to not only define their work, but kind of just like define their ease of taking pictures. And for me, it, personally, it's I started with Nikon because that, you know, it's just that's the one I picked up when I was at Best Buy. Um, (laughs) and and here we are. And and now I'm just like, I feel like 
being able to take a photo and adjust every single setting you'd like to with just my right hand is highly beneficial. And I like the flat color profile because personally, I'm the type of guy that could spend an hour on a photo just tweaking the colors because that's something I'm into. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm more of a front end guy. I don't like to do a ton. I mean, I do. I like to edit. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, because I have that film background and everything, and that's what I learned on, I, I just like, hey, what could I get at the camera that I don't have to do in post? And sometimes I like to tweak the colors just because I want to have fun. But a lot of times I'm like, man, I, I just like – because I've, I've actually had people say, wow, your edit on the skin is really good and I really didn't do anything. It was just something I learned how to do with a softbox. I'm like, no, actually, if you, you, you realize that if you just put the light up correctly, it saves you like – hours of retouching right like, like that it's it's sort of like an audio they say you know what the best form of eq is the right microphone it's why mm. when you go into a recording studio for the first time they put like 20 microphones in front of you because the sound engineer is trying to find the right microphone yeah. that fits your voice that get that makes them have to do the least amount of work in post mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm like that with light it's like well, what can i do to like you can say it's being lazy i say it's being you know astute smart you know, like, hey, what can I do to get to my result quicker at the camera? And I don't have to do it in post. Now, that's not a right or a wrong thing because there are people who are like, I'm just going to, like, take a picture of something and then I'm going to figure it all out in post. And the only thing that matters is your result. If you have two really awesome pictures at the end, it really doesn't matter how you got there. Right. It's just a matter of what you prefer. And since I prefer to do everything on the front end, maybe that's where my uh, lust for gear comes. You know, I want to try to squeeze every every bit that I can out of the front end so I don't have to do too much on the back end. Man, I, I don't know what my motivation is besides I always feel like I'm missing something in my workflow. Like you just talked about your workflow. And it's always like, oh, well, now you have this gig and uh, we're going to be in this tight space. Oh, man, I think I need something that's a little bit wider. Why don't I have that wide? Okay, And then just for my next thing, I'm like, oh, I should get that for my workflow. So that next time when I'm in that situation, I have it covered. Or, um, oh, I'm doing a lot of video now. Maybe I need to get a cinema lens, you know, and I don't know enough about it. So I'm going to get a 25 millimeter F1.5 or T1.5 because I think that I want some cinema glass. And then I'm like, well, maybe I don't need that because I have the. So you kind of convince yourself that you need things that you don't need. You know what I mean? And I've, I've been through that so many times, you know, thinking that. If I get this or this piece of gear or this piece of gear or this piece of gear, it's going to bring my workflow to a point where I don't need anything and I don't have to be like, oh, I'm empty handed. You know, I'm definitely not and and you're not this way either. I'm I'm definitely not one of those people who thinks that gear uh, is what's going to make me a better photographer. I just Mm. I'm just like, hey, I like to have a tool when I need it. Right. Yeah. And, you know. You could rent it, but I'm I'm I hate I hate renting because like a lot of times after you rent something two or three times you could just buy the damn lens right and so I'm like well I'd rather own it and I look at them as investments because like I have the Canon 85 1.2 it wasn't a cheap lens but I don't have to buy it again I have it now for right. you know date your camera marry your lens right right I mean I'm, that's that unfortunately fortunately or unfortunately it's the lenses I love lust after the most over the camera bodies because I'm. Because I'm such a front end person, mm-hmm. I think that you're, you know, like a microphone in audio, your microphone is the very first chance, other than putting in a perfect performance, of getting the capture right. right. And to me, the lens is your first line of defense or, you know, capture. And so to me, the glass makes all the difference. I can do it with inferior glass, but I prefer not to. Yeah. You know, you know to your point, 
it oftentimes when I when I feel the need to buy new gear and I feel like oh like you know like like for example I need a wide like I need a wide because I think that's what's lacking in in what I'm trying to produce and kind of the overall quality I'm trying to convey whether it's whether it's like a retro sort of like 90s style shoe where you want it to be a little bit garage a little bit punk a little bit skater um I often find that spending a little bit of time on YouTube and a little bit of time researching photographers and just studying a new approach to light and a new approach to coloring and shooting and and placing a subject or environment, I often find that that, that sort of knowledge suddenly satiates the need for a new lens. And it's just like, okay, I didn't, I didn't need a new lens. I didn't need a new, um, a, a new focal length. I just needed a new inspiration. And then suddenly I don't need to buy new gear. Suddenly it's, I need to change the way the light is. I need to change, you know, the setting in which I'm shooting. I need to change the type of, the type of grading I'm going to put on this kind of thing to accomplish what I'm looking to get out of it. Okay. Let me give you a scenario and see what you would do in this, in this case. So I just did this thing for Lika Steel. I I was, uh, the painted dress thing. Um, and uh, we, she wanted to get really creative with a wide angle. Like she's, she showed me some examples and I'm like, Ooh, I'll bust out my 16 1.4, which is, a, which I love, which is a 24 millimeter equivalent. But so, um, I busted out the 16 1.4, but now I put that on the XH2 XH2. It didn't, it did, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not as responsive as some of the newer lenses, the newer uh, linear motor lenses. And with that, with that, um, I mean, it, it, it worked well, but there were some shots where that where it didn't ca- it didn't track the eye and there was a little bit fuzzy and it didn't it didn't work as well as I wanted it to. In this case, would you upgrade to a newer lens like let's say a sixteen to fifty five, which actually would work a lot better? It has a much more powerful motor and stuff like that. In order to get that sixteen millimeter focal length, if you wanted to do a lot more stuff that's like wide angle, um, and the the gear that you have won't work as well with the old older motors the older lens uh if i've been in that situation because uh i tried to do a shoot with a manual 14 millimeter uh, with no autofocus and you know i did two shoots with that with that lens before i stopped using it the first shoot i thought i was gonna you know just suddenly have magic powers of knowing how to hit a 2.8 you know, with manual focus on the go, like, you know, like re- really quick, fast paced shooting. And that just turned into a clusterfuck of me just holding down the high speed shutter burst and literally spinning the dial as I go, <laughs> which that's, that's how I saved that shoot because, right. you know, um, and then the next shoot I did, I was just like, okay, I'm not doing that again because that's ridiculous. So instead I changed the workflow Um, I told the model in advance, I said, okay, this is going to be a patient shoot. Okay. We're going to go shot for shot and anything experimental we want to do in between, we're going to capture that. But to, to remedy that is I had a dedicated shot list, um, that I wanted to capture and I made sure that the light, I had an idea ahead of time of how I was going to set up the light for those shots so that I could nail those. I I believe it was seven, seven shots that we just had to hit, uh, that shoot. And I was already prepared and it just kind of like, it cut down, you know, it, it made it less dubious, you know, it just became more like, okay, I know what I need to get. I know how to get it. I'm going to get these seven and then I'll still, I'll, it'll still be a bit of a frustrating workflow after that, but at least I know I've got the shots and it'll also set a more, a more thoughtful, uh, pensive space so that we're not, you know, we didn't actually 
end up being frantic after that or it didn't actually speed up too much. It set a good pace and we also spent more time thinking about the shots because it is kind of difficult to frame a wide in any case to get the full meaning of the frame because there's such a distortion mm-hmm. that, um, you know, it's it, like, if you know where the shot's going, like, you know, it's going to be mostly Instagram. You don't want the head to be all the way at the top of the frame yeah. if there's something important at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So it just became that thing where I just had to think a lot more about the shots and, uh, that's how I remedied that situation. See, that's why you shoot on a 100 megapixel camera and then you just can take all the pixels out and you oh, won't worry gosh. about the crop. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and then you say RIP to your hard drive. But to your point about the shallow depth of field, nothing will teach you a shallow depth of field uh, like shooting film on a medium format camera wide open with manual focus. Wow. Yeah. You, will, you will miss and miss and miss and go, I'm going to start stopping down. <laughs> And and how many are in each roll? Is it like twenty four shots? It, it depends on the depends on the uh, anywhere from like if you're shooting, uh, you know, the one twenty. If you shoot like six by four point five, it's sixteen, and then it goes to twelve on a six by six and ten on a six by seven. Those are really expensive missed shots. Yeah, I mean, basically, <laughs> when you develop film, so you want to talk about gas. You know, it's funny because people talk about just the equipment, but it's like just film shooting these days in general is gas because. When you take a roll of, uh, if you take Portrait 800, it's 70, that's seven zero dollars mm-hmm. for five rolls. So that's like, what, 15, 16, $17 a, a roll. And then you take that and you divide that by 10 if you're shooting six by seven, that's $1.70 for the film. Right. You still have to pay somebody to develop it, which could be upwards of $10. Yeah, that's... And with a scan, like if you, some of the places around here who do the film, the the the, the scan as well, they'll, it'll be a $20 so service. They, they digitize so, it. Right. Yeah, so you're paying 20 you know, plus 17 So that's $37 to take 10 pictures. And by the way, what I was telling you about, like, oh, you're going to shoot at um, F3.5 on a 180 millimeter, which... Back to the math, it's basically an 85 millimeter portrait lens. And when you shoot that at 3.5, you actually have to go to, it's actually shooting at about like 2.8 or 2.5, somewhere in there on a, on a depth of field. So it's really easy to miss if you're doing a headshot. Like you right. you want both the eyes in focus, take three or four steps back and stop down to like F4 at least. Mm. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. I actually think I've worked out the best way to get like bang for buck on on film f- photography. So shooting film for a while, it became too expensive because I was shooting film out of college and I was already down to one meal a day and five cups of coffee. Yeah, And <laughs> that's just what it was. That's how I started shooting film. And I needed a way to like make this affordable so that I could actually have groceries, which was I thought was pretty important at the time. And... Um, so what I did was instead of shelling out five hundred to a thousand dollars on a nice you know medium format because I would usually get the mint because I don't trust resellers too much. Um, what I did was I got a near mint Nikon F five, mm. just the body, which is super cheap. It was about three hundred fifty dollars, and it's it's got a full working motor, and it's got all the bells and whistles and autofocus and everything, and I paired that with. Um, a second generation, well, you know how like Sigma's got their art series? Mm-hmm. Well, before that series, it was the DGHSM. And I got a 50 millimeter 1.4 DGHSM for about 200 bucks on eBay. And I still use it to this day. 
And the autofocus motor on the Nikon F5 with that lens, which is super sharp, it's, and it's a lot of glass, it, it makes it so that the quality that I would get on 35 millimeter is high enough to print at a decent scale. It scans super well because it's so it's so crisp, and I'm getting 36 shots instead of the the 16 to nine on medium format. And mm. that's how I got a. That's how like that was the most affordable way I could shoot film, and I still shoot film that way because if someone wants to do a film shoot and it's for a promotional thing, whether it's a whether it's a DJ or or um, you know a modeling agency uh, book filling basically like portfolio building. That's how I would get the shots because I'm not going to go spend, you know, seventy, eighty dollars on on film before before even developing it just to get, you know, one one to ten shots if I'm lucky where I can really just nail the autofocus on everything. The 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 metering on the Nikon F5 is fantastic and the quality is there like a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of just the way I've economized shooting film. And then like if I want to go and shoot medium format and I want that gorgeous rendering of space that it offers, then I'll go and splurge. But that's pretty much only if like the client's covering all the film head to toe. Mm. Yeah, I, I charge quite a bit when I add film to a shoot just because the time more than anything because it's like, okay, yeah, I already explained those costs, but then it's the I got to develop it myself and it takes me an hour and then it has to hang up overnight and dry out and all that. So, I, I mean, I'll charge like 100 bucks a roll or something sometimes like for film because it's just the amount of effort I have to put into it. Assuming everything turns out, I shoot two rolls to be safe. But um, so, so do you guys both shoot digital and film at the same time or, or, you, or you kind of – I do. One or the other? I do. Uh, I test I test on digital mm-hmm. and finish on film, and sometimes I like my digital shots better, so I have, I'm made the best shot win. Yeah, a lot of my shoots are pretty pretty goal oriented. Um, if I know I'm going for a certain look, uh, that's pretty much what determines film versus digital. Like if I'm shooting a look and I know that there's going to be some pretty heavy color grading to achieve the look I want, because I like I said earlier, like I love color grading. Um, then I'll shoot on digital because I know I've got the the bandwidth of pixel data to manipulate. But if I know that I want a true to color stock on on film, and that's the way I want the shoot to be, and I don't want it to be hyper manipulated, mm-hmm. I'll one hundred percent go with film because the color rendering on film is is almost impossible to match digitally, anyways. And basically, what I mean by that, and I might be beating a dead horse here, but um, a digital sensor will, because of the way that the white balance works, it will always color cast your images where each individual colors, your reds, blues, and greens, they won't be their individual color type because it's a sensor determining all the colors kind of relative to each other in its own cast. Whereas the film is just light being burnt onto the image. So those right. colors can kind of exist separately. So the sort of tangential like that, um, that hyper realness that you get in film is because of the way that that light reacts with emulsion as opposed to on a sensor. So mm. that's kind of the difference. And that and that comes back to the rant I had where I was talking about how film simulation is stupid because I didn't even get into the the light hitting the emulsion part of it. Like because mm. like, we, we we were talking in another episode about film simulations and why I think that uh, film simulations are kind of like okay they they get you kind of to a place but they they're not like the real thing and they never right. will be because right. they're not they're not interacting with light the same way mm-hmm. and so you can't like replicate 
the interaction of an emulsion. There's all these variables of this organic matter that when light hits it, it does a certain thing. And I'm not here to debate whether or not it's better or not, but I will always tell you that it's different. Yeah. And so that's how I feel about film. Now, uh, you were talking about uh, acquiring cameras. Where do, where do you acquire uh, your film cameras, Brandon? Oh, man. You know, it's, I wish I could be that guy that says I get them all from, like, KEH or, like, licensed resellers. But I honestly, I, 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 if I get them, I get a lot of them from Facebook Marketplace. And if yeah. I do, it's, yep. it's a line of interrogations on, on the photographer. You know, like, I got a um, – Actually, it's where I got my Helios, and and I had to I had to ask this guy uh, because it's a Soviet lens, is made in the seventies, and and you know Soviet stuff isn't exactly known for working. I had to drill this guy on you know on a bunch of different questions. I'm like, so how long you had it? Like you know, like what'd you use it for? And it's like, oh, can I see your portfolio? I just want to make sure you know, like this is what it's being used for. And even though it's like a fifty like sixty dollar lens, it's really inexpensive. It's kind of just like I need this to work. So it'll be Facebook Marketplace. Um, I generally like to get from sellers in Japan on eBay. Um, a lot of people have said they've had bad luck with eBay resellers from Japan, but, and this might sound a little weird, but like the Japanese are, to me, like a very clean, orderly, and organized people. They take care of their stuff. That's yeah. kind of just their lifestyle. And I just, I've never had a bad experience buying from Japan for a near mint camera. And um, so if it's not Facebook Marketplace, it's usually eBay. And I'll try to stick to Mint or Near Mint. And on top of that, I'll also just see, like, is this a camera that if a part does go wrong, can I get it 3D printed? Is there a technician nearby? Thankfully, there is. There's a really cool Romanian guy in Austin, Texas, that works on film cameras. His name is Soren Marku. Awesome dude. We've had Espresso before. Um, so yeah, I'll just make sure that if something were to go wrong, that there's replacements and it's not going to cost me like my, my left arm. Yeah. So to the, the shops in Japan, I was talking with Tyler Shields and he, he actually is the one who turned me on to the shops in Japan. He's like, go check out these specific shops. And to your point, like, and like I said, I'm not trying to make a blanket statement about the Japanese, but the Japanese that I deal with on eBay, there's nothing that terrifies them more than a bad review. Mm. And I have had a couple of things go wrong and I've literally had them like refund the thing and keep it sort of thing. I'm like, yeah, they're what? Like they are meticulous. Yeah. Well, and and that's why I do like, I have a, so I have a a 180 millimeter uh, F 4.5 lens for my Mamiya C330. It's a twin twin reflex camera. So for those of you who are listening and don't know, it's that hipster camera where you see the lens on the top and the lens on the bottom, the viewing lens, and then the taking lens, the pic- the picture taking lens. And so, uh, I ha- there's a, you know, not only is the focus manual, but you have to, you know, change the aperture ring, just like it is on a Fuji, uh, Fuji lens. Right. And so, the the aperture like there's a little tab that you move it up and down to change your aperture and it, it just broke like in shipping and it's just like hey man this broke like what are the what do you want me to do to return it and he's like no 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 how much you you paid like 180 dollars for it I'm giving you 180 dollars back you just keep it I'm like okay I just went out and bought that uh so I think it's called like so grued glue or something I don't remember what's called but like you just put it on there for like 24 hours and it like molds it into plastic and I was like okay it's fixed. So now I have a brand. I, I got a free one hundred. And the 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 
the glass is impeccable. It, you right. look at it and it just looks absolutely. Is that perfect. the one you took? You took a picture of me with one of. Them. I actually have two C three thirties. This is the gear acquisition syndrome episode. <laughs> the one time I did buy a camera on Facebook Marketplace, I was just sitting there like minding my own business, like I always do. This is how these gear purchases happen. You're minding your own business, and the next thing you know, you're coming home with something. So, you know, C three thirty. You can get a C three thirty for like four hundred dollars, and mm. it'll come with like a one hundred and five millimeter f three point. I think five, three point eight, three point eight lens. That's like the standard that it comes with. Their kit lens, which by the way is an amazing lens. Um, and then, but this guy was just like, yeah. So I've got a a C three thirty F. So they made a C three thirty, a C three thirty F, and a C three thirty S. And the F is a slightly newer model. I have a the one I took a picture of you on is my regular old school C three thirty. Anyway, this guy listed a C three thirty F with a one thirty five millimeter lens of. 40, or I'm sorry, an 80 f2.8. And then what was the other one that he had? It was like a 55 millimeter or a 50 millimeter. It was three lenses, one with leaf shutters. Uh, and then he also had a handle for it, a prism finder for it. Like a prism finder is a couple hundred dollars. So just a, a C330 with one lens and a prism finder right there, that's like $600. But then he had the two extra lenses. He had like a handle for it, and then he had a case for it. And he had it all for like $500. And it was mint. Might as well. And I'm just like, <laughs> where are you? He's like, I'm in Round Rock, which is a northern suburb of Austin. And that's where I lived. And I was like, okay, meet me at this coffee shop. And I checked it all out, and everything worked great. And I could I could sell because each of those lenses is two or three hundred dollars a piece as well. So I, I mean, it's basically like I got twelve hundred dollars worth of equipment for five hundred dollars. Wow. And so you know, that's the only time like I'll do the whim Facebook Marketplace thing and roll the dice. But otherwise, I, I always use the shops in Japan. You are listening to the F Eleven Photography Podcast. Question: mm-hmm. How many cameras do you have, and how many lenses do you have? Oh, um, shit. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Let's start with systems. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> I shoot – so for my primary commercial work, I shoot on a Canon R5. And then as my backup – because I'll, I'll use the Canon R5 at weddings as well. And um, for my backup, I use a Canon R7. And I use the Canon R7 as well to record video. And then, so that's, that's, that's my Canon digital cameras right there. So I'm at two. Um, I have a Fuji – X-H2 that I shoot on, and that's my primary Fuji. And the reason why I like shooting on the X-H2 is because the lenses for the R5, like my 28 to 70 other, are just super freaking heavy. And I, a lot of times I go out on shoots when I just want to, like, take a model out on the streets and get a really quick shoot and be done with it. And I don't really like feeling – I don't really feel like taking a bunch of big lenses. So I'm at three. Um, I have a Fuji X-T20, which I've converted to infrared, so I'm at four. And then I have a Fuji GFX – 100s medium format so i'm at five digital cameras do you want me to talk about film or are you good it's up to you all right so i have uh for film oh, i he's have going into his computer he's going into his list oh, oh no hold on um so for film i shoot uh mainly medium format mm-hmm. and so i have a mamiya rb67 which I love. It's it's my, my favorite medium format camera to shoot on in terms of what I get out of it. It's not a lot of fun to carry around because I could literally bludgeon you to death with it. It's such a heavy weapon. Uh, so that, uh, so um, I shoot on that. 
I have two Mamiya C330s, as I've already talked about. So I'm at uh, what? What's what? What's five plus three? That's eight. There you go. And then um, I have a Canon Rebel G 35 millimeter, which was my uh, college camera that I used for film school. And uh, I say film school. I say photography school. I'm a film school is like for motion pictures. I didn't do that. And then I have a Minolta X700, which I just recently acquired uh, from my late grandfather, uh, which start which sparked my fascination into the rabbit hole of Minolta lenses because people will take the MC and the MD Minolta lenses and they'll put them on Canon, Fuji, Fuji GFX cameras. And so I've got the adapters uh, for all my grandfather's old lenses. He had some really cool lenses, like a 50 millimeter 1.7 uh, which is a really cool little street photography pancake lens. You can just walk around with it, and mm. it's it's pretty rad. So uh, I think the number I hit was nine systems I'm on. Well, not systems, but cameras. And should we? Can you? How many lenses? <laughs> oh God. Uh, I, I mean, take all day. I could say. Pro- I mean, just off the top of my head, probably thirty. Oh jeez. So Brandon, I, I've got a question real quick. What what brand of shelving do you use? <laughs> this is the gear episode. So I have on my YouTube channel, I'm going to plug my YouTube channel. Uh, I use Ruggerd dry cabinets. Uh, so I have a review I did on one of my YouTube episodes, uh, the Ruggerd dry cabinet. And so I just keep all my lenses in there. I have two of them. I have like a 125 liter and I think a 50 liter. And it's got about six shelves on one and four on the other, three on the other. I think he might have been joking, but that's a you got an A. No, I, yeah, I actually for it. I actually have a YouTube episode that I'll link up in the description wow. below for this bad oh, boy. That's awesome. Jeez. <laughs> now, yeah, I'm learning stuff all the time. Yeah, rugged. I would have gotten I would have gotten those standard metal wire like you know ikea back not even no, I, no. like the back of house stuff that holds noodles for like a fast food <laughs> restaurant that's what target i target um i have children i have yeah. children who like to play with things oh, yeah, you know. and so i lock that bad boy oh. up because it's like you see your kid running around with the three thousand dollar lens and you're like what no, no. which which coming back to the frivolous thing so like you know, people ask me all the time, what lens should I get? People, because I, I, because I use a lot of gear and I'm a big gearhead, people often come to me advice for gear. And I always tell people, like, it is the carpenter, not the tools, yeah. but the best carpenters do like good tools. So if you can get the good tools and you feel like you can utilize them, that's fine. However, like kind of the way I advise people is it's like, is it a, does the lens make you money? The yeah, answer is yes. yes. Then okay, maybe you can justify buying the better one, the mm-hmm. bigger one. If you that that's when you could justify going out and spending three thousand dollars on a lens. However, you can make money off the cheaper one. Mm. So it still comes back to do we do it for ourselves? And I think a lot of times we do. Now I'm I'm a I, I like to see how far I can push the quality out of my equipment, which is kind of you know, natural for a gearhead. So I like to squeeze that out as much as I can. And and so I like to geek out and like pixel peep and all that. At the end of the day, I still like it's about the work. It's mm-hmm. about the work. But while you're doing the work, you can dork out over your equipment. And yeah. I find you know have a balance there. Yeah, that's 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 my philosophy. But you don't you don't need to. You yeah. don't need to. Uh, there's a really uh, famous uh, celebrity photographer I follow. He shoots on a 5D Mark III, and he uses um, you know it's a 2012 camera, and he uses uh, you know like the 30 year old 85 millimeter 1.2 that's super slow and super soft and mm-hmm. the celebrities who book his ass don't seem to care so uh, that's the other thing that you can always say is well did people used to take good pictures 
30, 40 years ago? Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, then the gear that existed 30 or 40 years ago works. Yeah. And it's not even about having the latest or greatest because I shoot on the old cameras. I love right. it. Like I, I said, I dork, I dork out about it. If I had room for it, I don't have room for it. I'd shoot on a, a large format uh, you know, film camera. Right. But I don't have room for it. But my buddy my buddy Andy, who lives out in Los Angeles, I probably will have him on, a, on an episode. He shoots on a 100-year-old camera and he uses x-ray film. He goes out and takes pictures of people. I mean, he has some beautiful work. I probably will have him come, have him come on an episode sometime because he'd probably say yes. But you know, it's not about having the latest and the greatest, but it is kind of cool to dork out. Like I show people a 100, you know, 102 megapixel file that comes out to 204, you know, megabytes. Right. And they start like playing games with 15 stops of dynamic range on it. Like, oh, okay, well, I can see why that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty badass. I mean, you know, you see colors you didn't even know that you had. Like, you, you know, all the cameras I've owned up to this point, when they see a shadow, the shadow's black. But when I have this better camera, the shadow's like, well, no, there's color in the shadow. I'm going to pull that color out so you know that it's there because you saw it with your eyes. Right. So, you know, and that was one of the things when I when I bought the Fuji GFX, the very first shoot I took it on, I was taking a picture of a model who was just like on uh, the Colorado River here in Austin. And, you know, like when you know when you look at the shadow um, in water, you'll see like kind of an algae-ish color, you know, kind of an aquamarine, bluish, greenish color. But a lot of cameras, you know, even like a, a sophisticated camera like an X-H2 or a five, uh, R5 will just go, that's black. Right. But with the, with the GFX, it was like, no, 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 that's, that's not black. I'm going to show you what color it is. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, that's freaking cool. <laughs> that's, that's, that's where my, my geekiness comes out on, on, on gear. So, but at the end of the day, you still need to like make good, you know, material with it. Right. Because otherwise, because I do, I do see those people online, the people who go out and buy the gear and thinks that it makes them better at photography, and they dork out over things and they go, "This camera sucks." It's like, okay, first of all, if you know how to like acquire focus and you know how to use your exposure triangle, no camera sucks. Right. Holgas suck because you can't do that. Oh yeah, those are <laughs> those are atrocious. Yeah, Holgas <laughs> Holgas are, are are trash, and I will always try to at least bring that joke up. We'll keep kicking that can down the road in every episode that Holgas are in fact trash cameras. But you know, any camera that you have control over the outcome of is a good camera, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a good enough camera, in my opinion. So yeah, I mean, it, it is the carpenter, not the tools, but the tools. They're just fun, man. It's like yeah. it's like the guy who lifts up the truck. You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. To to be a contrarian, well, probably not a contrarian in philosophy, but um, I I I find a lot of the time that most cameras will do. Um, it's you know, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm super goal oriented in, in what I'm trying to get for the shoot. So a lot of the gear that I find myself looking for is, uh, it's, it's either going to be light related. It's going to be gel related. It might be gobo related. And as well as that, I have, I love building out sets. You know, I, uh, I was born and raised watching films. You know, uh, I told Kevin on another episode that I was raised watching Blade Runner at like seven, eight years old with my dad, you know, like the director's cut. And so when I see a shoot, I, I don't just see, you know, I don't see the subject so much as I see the the world I want them to be in. So it's, uh, you know, kind of the running joke between me and some of the models is they know that I have a 400 square foot uh, roll 
of painter's drop tarp in the back of my car at all times because I like to use that plastic to shape light a lot and to create texture in environment. He's a he's a serial killer. He said <laughs> bodies in the back of his yeah. trunk. What do you really have that for? Yeah, yeah and I have OxyClean conveniently right oh, next to Oh, jeez. His real name is Dexter. Go ahead. So um, in terms of the gear, I have um, I, I sell as I buy, to be quite honest. So uh, I did have a Nikon D750 that I recently got rid of for a Nikon Z6. Uh, I currently with the Nikon Z6, as I was explaining, I use the kit lens, which is a 24 to 70 f4. I looked at upgrading that. You know, I looked at getting the Sigma 24 to 70 2.8 because the glass is just luxurious. And then after research online and looking at it, it's just like, am I really going to pay the extra $1,200 for just a crisper image when, you know, most of my work is getting shown online. And if if mm. you are cropping in Photoshop, your final export um, to the exact ratio of the place that you're sending it to, and you also sharpen accordingly, and you get used to exporting for web where you degrade the quality to very specific fine-tuned amounts, like Instagram, for example, you export at 1080 by 1350, and you degrade the quality to 76% quality, then add just a little bit of sharpening, then that is pretty much the most optimized you can get your image for Instagram. And it will look sharper than about 99% of other photos on Instagram because it, there's no compression from Instagram and it is pixel for pixel the exact size and sharpness it needs to be. So in terms of getting sharper gear and better gear, if it was, if I knew I was going to be, well, look, if I had a ridiculous amount of clients and I had a ridiculous amount of disposable income to where it didn't matter. And it was just kind of like a, just like fun for me kind of thing. I do it. But in terms of what I need to accomplish with what I see on a shoot per shoot basis, I spend most, well, I also have an 85 1.8 uh, Viltrox lens for the Nikon, just because I wanted to experiment with compression because I thought that's yeah. something that would be cool to add to the portfolio. I, I have that for uh, Fuji, 85 1.8. The Viltrox? Yeah, the Viltrox, yeah. It, it kills. Nice Viltrox makes great it's stuff. Beautiful. It kills. Uh, the autofocus doesn't exactly line up, but that might be a Nikon exclusive problem. Right. <laughs> Because Nikon is the way that it is. Um, but no, I spend a lot a lot of my uh, my gear money on, on lights, on props, on um, uh, getting to specific locations, like, you know, renting out movie theaters or making sure I can get specific spaces within, like, um, uh, restaurants or areas. Some, sometimes it costs money, sometimes it doesn't. And as well as that, uh, outfits. So what I find in Austin, Texas is it's not a fashion forward city, but I want to shoot the stuff that I want to shoot. So oftentimes um, I recently did a shoot with a model and her and I spent 16 cumulative hours under under a light bulb, putting together, cutting, hot gluing, sewing, stapling and pinning uh, an outfit, two specific outfits that were cut down from 10 garments uh, that we got at a thrift shop. And these garments were like we spent 16 hours on them. So they were cut and, and tailored to her exact fit the exact way we wanted it to. And so is it, it's, it's not high quality. You know, there's hot glue between the stitches and everything, but every, it looks super high quality and it fits for the location that we wanted to do. 
So we woke up early, and in in the morning light, we we brought her over to shoot at at the dam, uh, the local dam on Austin, Texas, and the water's low right now. So there's like this limestone kind of moon rock leading up to a 60 to 70 foot just concrete, you know, just, you know, dam, like this superstructure mm-hmm. is what it looks like when you're standing at the bottom of it. And we shot her in these these sort of apocalyptic thrifted outfits of, of multiple textures that were fitted to her body in in, in in nice fitted form. And that's that's what I'll spend my money on. And if I needed a strobe for that situation, if that was what was gonna happen, then I'd need to buy another strobe and I'd get the need to get the modifiers and stuff like that. But I know that shooting with a Nikon Z6 Shooting with a Nikon Z9 isn't going to make the shot better because there's so much more going on in front of the camera um, that I need to worry about than the actual quality of the photo itself. I don't think that was too contrary, and I agree with you. So, yeah, I think I think uh, you should spend money on sets 100%. That's something that early on I had to figure out. But, you know, like I went and bought a frame the other day for a shoot I did. Uh, I returned it, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't had a lot of experience doing sets. I don't have a lot of space. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, I have a studio in my studio apartment mm-hmm. basically I have a gray backdrop and that's, and I just, I color it with, with different colors. Basically that's it. But mostly, um, yeah, it's, that's my space. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it all depends on what you're trying to achieve. Like if you're shooting like a target look or something or something for the gap or something and they just want a white backdrop that works, right? You yeah. just do the, but if you know, you want to build an entire set and tell a story without going out into an environment, like if you're on a studio, you, you got to find some things, you know, mm-hmm. put it in the studio. And, you know, if you're trying to tell some sort of a visual story, you know, like you're cutting up clothing and gluing it and all that. Yeah. I mean, you got to put effort into that as well. So mm-hmm. that is important. I agree. I think, I think that, um, at the end of the day, if your goal is to get the result, yes, the gear matters sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and the gear matters in that it has to achieve your objective. I agree with right. Brandon on that. Like, uh, but you know, all else is equal. You got all your other tail end stuff done and you're like, well, I could get the nicer lens and I can afford it. Okay. Well then treat yourself. That's, that's more of yeah. more of my, my philosophy on that. Uh, but I, I also am into, I'm, I'm kind of like you and that, yeah, I may need this tool for this one job one day, but I do also have a kind of a rule of, I haven't used a lens in six months or something. I, I, I sell it. So I, yeah, I've got 13 lenses. And I don't need 13 lenses. Nice. I don't and need. I need to start selling some. I just don't need them. But but then I'll do something stupid like lend my 35 millimeter, my 50 millimeter equivalent to my brother. What's I thinking? I that know. is a really great. Like <laughs> so, we did we did a shootout. I've been pretty big into Canon most of my my photography life, and I started to like Fuji, and so you know. But I was like, it came back to my philosophy of if it's not a moneymaker lens for you, you don't spend as much, right? So. Uh, Fuji had or Sigma came out with some lenses for Fuji last year yeah. and I was like well Sigma makes great lenses mm-hmm. but you know, that's their art series I'm thinking of they have a series below it called their contemporary series and so I was like well it's their contemporary series but it's going up against Fuji's at the time their best glass you know mm-hmm. their best 50 millimeter equivalent their best 85 millimeter equivalent and so I was like well Jason owns the lenses the, yeah. the, the, the Fuji versions I'm going to go buy the Sigma lenses and we're going to shoot them out and I will say that even though I think that the 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 eighty five millimeter equivalent 
I think was better than the 85 millimeter equivalent on the Fuji. The 35 you speak of yeah. was better than the Sigma. I mean, yes. it, it, that that lens has flaws, but that's what makes that lens so good. Yeah. And it has like this character to it that's just amazing. So you never know. I may end up with one one day if I get a little more gas. Yeah, I, I need to sell lenses, but it's also because there are lenses that I want to buy. But but like I said, <laughs> it is the like I said, marry the lens, date the body. Like I'm not in a, I'm not like people are like oh you shoot on an R5. I'm like yeah, I shoot on an R5. Like but whatever, I could shoot on an R6. I could shoot. I, I'm yeah. way more into the glass. Way more yeah. into the glass. Like that's the one piece of gear I will geek out over the most is the glass. Well, I do have two cameras that I need to sell though. Which you have a um, XT. So I have the XT3, which I didn't want to sell because it's my first Fuji and I love it. And it's a beautiful camera. It's an amazing camera. And it's it's like I've done so much with it. So the XT3, uh, then I got the XH1, sold that. I got the XS10, sold that. I have the XE3 because I wanted the smaller form factor, but it has a 24 uh, megapixel um, sensor in it. But I really kind of fell in love with the XE4. So I bought the XE4. So now I have the XE3 and the XE4. The XE4 is just, it's its a spectacular little uh, camera. That's my, actually, that's what I work with every day. It, is it, the XH2 and the XE4. And the XE4 is just regular X mount. It's compatible with all lenses. It's the, but tiny. Tiny. And yeah, the, don't, stop making me try to buy another camera. The XE4 is, <laughs> the XE4 is great. It's a great little camera. So I now have an XE3. It's beautiful. It's in great condition. It's just sitting there doing nothing. I I I actually took a step in the right direction because I'm I'm the type of person I hold on to my camera bodies and lenses. Mm-hmm. I actually sold a camera body. Wow! I'm yeah, impressed. Yeah. Uh, I sold the X, I sold the XS10, and here's why. Oh god! I'm well. Here's why I, I sold the, that camera. I don't because I have an XH2. I sold it for the XH2. Yeah, it's like the yeah. Everything the XS10 wasn't, the XH2 was. Yes. Except it was a, a hair bigger, but not much. So I ended up selling the XS10. Then the biggest thing that like f- I, he wouldn't have had a problem with it because he's a Nikon shooter. But the um, the shutter speed and the aperture were flipped backwards. Yeah. So it's for Nikon users and not Canon users, mm. which wouldn't be a big deal if it was like every other Fuji camera, like Max D20, where I could flip it the other way. But for whatever reason, because they decided to market that camera to like YouTubers and stuff, like, well, you don't need to be able to customize. They totally handicapped the camera. And I was like, yeah. I was like, well, if I can't like put my finger where I need it to be for my shutter speed, I have to get rid of this. And so I got I, I got rid of it for the X, XH2, which I'm not regretting at all. <laughs> no, the XH2 is amazing. But, I'm, I'm sitting right next to it. It's a killer camera. So. But, it, but if you were to take the XS10 and the X E4 uh, side by side, the XS10 is a much much better camera. Just overall, all the bells and whistles. Yeah, Yeah. but the XE4, and I'm sure I don't know if if if, like Brandon doesn't care. You don't care about (laughs) the sexiness (laughs) of the camera, the feel of the camera, or if it motivates you to go out and shoot with it. Like I just I don't know. Well, that's why I got the Z6 and and tossed the D750 because the D750 as a legendary workhorse in the Nikon world, it is indeed a home defense weapon. You know, (laughs) it's a very who needs hollow points when you've got a D750 body. Very true. Very true. That's well, awesome. I think that we have uh, wasted enough of y'all's time. I'm from Texas. I say y'all. Yeah. I think. I think. I think we've. Uh, I think we've had a pretty good discussion today about uh, gear. I think. I think the takeaway is is it depends on who you are and what's important to you and what your end goals are. Uh, but 
uh, I, I still will always agree that, hey, you got to know what to do with the damn gear. So anyway, uh, Jason, thank yes, you sir. for joining us today. Hey, thank uh, you, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Um, you join us on the next episode. Uh, we'll be doing an interview with Jordan Groby, who is a uh, photographer, an event photographer in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, it'll be great to have him on the show. And uh, until next time, we appreciate you all very much. And Chase Light, not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.